0: And I'm going to ask you again just to join me quickly in prayer before I get into uh, preaching the sermon. Heavenly Father, I pray that you go before me, Lord. You are so faithful. I I thank you for even giving me the relief from pain this morning, Lord, and that you will go before me in this message, that you will make it clear, that it will touch the heart of each and every one of us, and that we will truly endeavor to walk worthy in our friendships for your glory. Lord, we lift this up in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay, well, I've entitled my sermon this morning, Life Together, Friendships, Not With the World, But In the World. Again, that's the goal of our friendships. We don't want to be friends of the world and have their influence, but we want to be in the world, influencing the world through what we understand we've been influenced by, the Spirit of God. A quote I found from Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, The hour has come for these poor and wretched folk to be fetched home to the kingdom of God. That's how I think about friendship, is, you know, when I look at my friends, I think, We need to get them back into the kingdom of God to understand life to the full. We have been going through this sermon series I have entitled Life Together, namely, after the wisdom and example, uh, and set by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he had lived life together, he wrote a book called Life Together, and I believe him to be a great standard for what we should long for in Christian community, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our church life, in our families, and as well as in our friendships just a real quick refresher on who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was. He was a pastor during the Third Reich in Nazi Germany. Unlike others within the Christian community, Bonhoeffer felt the strong need to serve other people. Essentially, he believed that his life was to be lived for the sake of other people. And he called this a religionless Christianity, and ultimately he died for the sake of other people. Not only did he live for the sake of other people, he died in their place. Surely a fitting example of of what Jesus Christ said in John chapter 15, verse 13, where he said, Greater love has no one than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. So we've talked about church life in this series. We talked about dating and marriage. Last week we talked a little bit about family. And today we're going to touch on how your friendships should look in a Christian context. What you should have come, be coming to terms with through this series is Every single one of your relationships, whether it's your family, whether it's someone you're dating, whether it's somebody you're married to, all of those relationships have the opportunity and the potential to bring glory to God. The question is, are we walking in unison with what God wants us to do in those relational contexts? I've been summing up each relationship context with three things. What is the fellowship based on? Right? That's the first thing we need to get right. Um, what brings you together? Are you coming together out of just... We want to come together to talk about community things, or are we coming together under or in and through Jesus Christ? We, what's the mission of that friendship, or well, what's the mission of that relationship context? What is the goal of that friendship in this, what we're asking this morning? And are you living in that relationship context with agape love, a selfless love? Are you, are you serving that relationship the way that our Lord would ask us to serve those relationships? A point to ponder as we look into how our friendships are to be lived for the glory of God is what Eric Metatexas wrote in his biography of Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said this, A major theme for Bonhoeffer was that every Christian must be fully human by bringing God into his whole life, not merely his spiritual realm or his spiritual life. To be an ethereal figure who merely talked about God but somehow refused to get his hands dirty in the real world in which God had placed him was bad theology. That's it. You need to get into the world and we need to be putting our faith into practice. We're not just here to talk about the world that God has created and the life that God has designed to bring us into. We're here to influence the world to seek that life, to understand that life and what that life means. So I believe that each and every one of us have been put in strategically by God into the relationship context that we find ourselves, some of your friends, some of those of you that are married, you've been put there to serve your wife. You're in your friendships to serve your friends and help them understand the things of God. We should all be living as an example in the reality God has placed us. Again, noting the coined phrase "religious religionless Christianity, which, Bonhoeffer, which made Bonhoeffer to be loved by some and hated by many. Bonhoeffer noted that the way so many Christians lived their lives was, in a sense, putting Christ back up on the cross. They would talk about Jesus. They would point to Jesus. Everything was about Jesus, yet Jesus wasn't in the world. He wasn't there. He wasn't practical. He wasn't really dealing with the things that the people during Nazi Germany were dealing with. He was wondering why all those Christians were standing along the walls when in the midst of it was the problem. They had, you know, Christians are agreeing with Nazis, and and the, the Jews are being... You know, tortured and persecuted by the Nazis, and yet the Christians just sat idly by the side saying, well, I'm not Jewish. Those are just my friends. Those aren't my brothers or my sisters. Those are my friends. You would imagine there were Germans, German Christians that had Jewish friends prior to Adolf Hitler coming to power. So really what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said was, no, it's not a religion that we're just pointing to Jesus saying Jesus is one day going to save the world and fix the world. no. We've been embodied by the spirit to be Jesus in our, in our relational context, that we need to bring Jesus into that relationship and we need to love the world the way that Christ loved the world. We were saved by grace, by the grace of God, to go into the world and save some. That's how the Apostle Paul said, he said, that I might save some. This cannot and will not be done by standing idly in our sacred places, pointing up to Christ's work on the cross. And I say that in a very figurative way. Your sacred place might be your living room, where you're sitting there with your friends and you're just talking about Jesus. Instead of, are we showing that? Do we Are we making sure that our friendships are based upon what we are doing as Christians in and through Jesus Christ, being right fellowship? Are we making sure that we actually are missionally minded when we're talking to our friends? That we want to help them understand the faith. We want to help them understand what it means to live life to the full. And ultimately, are we serving our friends with an agape love that would maybe Get them to see that better. We've talked a lot about that this morning, how we need to love the world in a sense to get them to see the truth of what we're trying to say, the reality of what we're offering. Because that's what we're doing. We're offering the world a reality. We're saying your way, your reality is horrible, dirty, filthy, and all the bad words we could think of. And we're saying our reality is life to the full, peaceful, gentle, loving. That's the reality I've come to know in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're offering this world. So when I think of my friendships, I think, I want my friends to experience what I have. I want them to know Jesus just like I do. Unfortunately, we live at a kind of a weird impasse in our society where our friends don't seem to want the truth that we're offering them, huh? We're going to get to that this morning. Rather, we need Jesus to come and be provided, not on the cross and pointing to our religious ideals, we need him to be real in and through our community, in and through our lives. And that's what this world needs. They need Jesus to be off the cross in the community. That's what we celebrate when we celebrate communion. Next week, we'll possibly be celebrating that. And, uh, you know, again, we celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive in our midst, that we can come here, we can lift up our praises and our prayers because we know Jesus is alive. How much more do we want to influence our friends with that reality? This is going to come through. The, The change that we desire for our friends is going to come through us walking worthy of what we know, what we experience in this reality. In one of his writings on this subject, which interestingly enough has been preserved and made available due to Dietrich Bonhoeffer writing to his friends and teaching his friends spiritual things, one of his best friends was Eberhard Bethage, that was the man that pretty much has, is responsible for the fact that we can read about Dietrich Bonhoeffer today, we can read through his letters, we can understand the mentality of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, it was because Dietrich Bonhoeffer had an agape love for his friends and his friends had it for him. You see, that's, that's why we even have the privilege to talk about such a great example. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, The questions to be answered would surely be, What do a church, a community, a sermon, a liturgy, a Christian life mean in a religionless world? That's what we need to be asking ourselves if we're trying to reach our friends that are living in a religionless world. What does all of this mean? What is the point of it? How do we speak of God without religion? An example, without temporarily conditioned presuppositions of metaphysics, of, you know, the incarnation of all the things that we take for granted and we understand in the Christian church, how do we share those details with our friends in a way that they don't have to have the same presuppositions we do? You see that or I might know all the evidence behind the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I know my friends don't. So I might be inclined to listen to you talk about Jesus because I know all the truth that's there. But our friends, a lot of times, they're thinking as we talked about this morning, the crazy people. Right? They, They don't They don't want to hear what we have to say. So he he continues, he says, How do we speak, or perhaps we cannot now even speak as we used to, in a secular way about God? How do we talk about God in just a very plain and simple way that our friends would come to understand that? In what way are we religionless-slash-secular Christians? In what way are we, those who are called forth, not regarding ourselves from a religious view as specially favored, but rather as belonging to the world, to here to serve others. You know, oftentimes in Christianity, we, we develop the mindset that we are God's chosen, the bad world, and, well, just too bad for them. You know, that's, sorry to hear that, folks. Well, that's not the Christian attitude. Our attitude is we are here to serve this world. We are here to help them understand, just like Jesus came and served the circumcision, we are to do the exact same thing. That's the reality we have come to know, that Jesus served us, he first loved us, and then we can love him. So how much more do we need to be doing that out there? We will first love you for you to better come to understand and love us. In that case, Christ is no longer the object of religion, but rather something quite different, really the Lord of this world. That's what Jesus becomes when we don't make it all about religion and force him back up on the cross, instead allowing him to be real in our world, seen in and through our lives, interactions, relationships with our friends and loved ones. We might ask, what is this place of worship and prayer in a religionless world? What does all of this mean in just a very practical reality to the people we're trying to reach? He further remarked, religious man must therefore live in a godless world. That's where we're going. We're going into a godless world without attempting to gloss over or explain its ungodliness in some religious way or other. We have to find a way to get this world to think without foisting religion upon them. To be a Christian does not mean to be religious in a particular way, to make something of oneself, a sinner, a penitent, or a saint, on the basis of some other, but to be a man, not a type of man, but the man that Christ has created in us, that we are to live this fully, Christ in us. It's not a religious act that makes the Christian, but participation in the sufferings of God in a secular life. So again, we're to get down into the the world and actually have to deal with the things the world is dealing with. How often I listen to my friends talk, And I wish we would just be talking about the things of God because I find it silly some of the conversations that are happening in in my friendship context. However, the most loving thing I could do is sit and listen. Understand their secular reality. Understand what they're going through, their pains, their stresses, and then turn around and offer what I have as the solution. Or listen to what they have to say about my solution. Even there, that's what we've been doing through those little surveys, is listening to what the world is saying about what we're offering them. That's the least we could do. I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to, that's my way of serving. I'll listen to you. Because, to be quite frank, I don't necessarily want to listen to some of the junk. But I'm willing to because I, that's the way I'm going to love them. In James chapter 4, verse 4, we read a rather strong indictment with friendship in this world. He says, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I thought this was a fitting verse because it explicitly shows that our friendships are all about influence. You see, if you're in the world and you're a friend of the world, they're going to influence you. They're going to turn you into them. You're going to get dirty and, you know, look like dirt. And that's going to be the context of your life. Or you could be a Christian. You could be in the faith, have a firm foundation, understand Jesus' words. You know, the storms come. My house is going to stand. I'm going to be secure because I understand my God. I understand my reality. We're living in a world that doesn't understand their reality, and we need to understand the reality that we have from the Creator to offer that to them. The question is, how do we do that? I think, hopefully I'm getting you thinking this morning, how do I get my friends to want to hear about the things of God? Or not even your friends. Maybe if you don't have any friends that need to hear about the things of God, maybe you need to go make some. That could be the next step. How do I go out and make some new friends that I want to influence for the glory of God? That should be our goal as Christians. The Apostle Paul accounted that I might win a few. And I believe that's important to understand that we're influencing people. We're either out there influencing them that we might win a few, or guess what? In your friendship context, they're saying the same thing, that we might win a few. Back to our not-so-crazy worldview, right? See, the problem with that is we talk about how the world looks at Christians as crazy, and trust me, I look right back at them and say the same thing. How crazy to live according to your own logic. Lean on your own understanding. No, thank you. So the goal of your friendships is that the grace of God would be found in your one life. Your one whole life. Not some religious segment of your life. I used to preach about that a lot. That I only have one life. I'm only living one real life. There's not my religious part of my life that I put on a shelf when I'm hanging out with my friends and then I take it off and I come to church and I'm the religious guy. Or, you know, vice versa. I don't have my regular secular world personality and then my my Christian character. That doesn't work that way. I have one life that I'm allowing God to live through me. And that's our job in our friendships, is to allow God to live through us in our one life. Talk about spiritual things. It doesn't take much to bring up spiritual things around our friends. It really doesn't. It doesn't take much to just kind of listen to the frame of the conversation and say, how could I slip in some wisdom from God to help my friends think? It really doesn't take much. So Jesus Christ gave us a standard for our friendships. He said this, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Did you catch that? I call you friends because all the things that I have heard from my Father, I make known to you. So are we doing that in our friendships? I'm going to start saying that to my friends. I call you my friend because all the things that I have learned from my Father, I'm going to make known to you. Hmm. Interesting concept of friendship, right? That's that's from the mouth of Jesus. So I would ask you all, think about this this morning. What are you making known to your friends? What are some of the things that you know from your father that you are making known to your friends? And I challenge you with that this week. Begin to think about that. A popular thing in our current culture is to give up friendships. To say, you know, and actually, maybe some of you have felt this way. All too often, people mention how distrustful friendships can be. Why bother getting a new friendship when all those other friendships I had were clearly superficial? And we did some talking about that this morning, about having superficial friendships. So what happens when we find ourselves at the end of well, all my friendships seem to be fake, superficial, lead me to further harm than actually do me any good. Again, that's the common thing you're hearing from people in our culture is I don't want to meet new people. I don't want to make any more friends because every new person I meet is a disappointment. So what do we say about that? How, or another thing you might say, hear people say, which is very popular, is good friends are hard to find. Right? Good friends are hard to find. Well, I would agree. Also, sometimes you might lose good friends Or you had a bad experience in a friendship and you said, you know what, I'm just going to stick with the folks that I have. That's it. I'm just going to stick in my little circle and I'm going to be happy there. That's doing it wrong. I'm just going to put it very simple for you. That's That's not our role in the world. Our role is to be making new friends, influencing new people, becoming the best conversationalists we can be to further influence this world. Listen to them, understand their reality, and then destroy their reality and give them a firm foundation of truth. That's the Bible, by the way. Second Corinthians, chapter ten. So, uh, just so I don't get blamed for that. Now, again, I, I really enjoy Dietrich Bonhoeffer's wisdom in all of these regards. I know that a lot of times we don't want to meet new people. I know that we surely don't want to talk about our faith or our hope to see this world changed with anybody. Again, you know, the, what are the things you're not supposed to talk about? Faith and um, oh, your religion and politics. So, two of the things that influence our world, we're told we're not supposed to talk about it with anybody. That's interesting. So. Again, you could be like that, and you could watch them kind of just mold your view, and you'll become very cynical, I imagine, very pessimistic, or you could be strong in your worldview and say, you know what, even if it hurts to mention my faith to some people and they say, you know, oh, you believe that, oh, you're crazy, or, you know, you mention, this is very daring, but if you mention who you're voting for or something in a conversation, um, God bless you, I'll pray for you, but if um, if, if you mention that in conversation, you get people thinking, you know, why can't we just graciously deal with one another? If, I'm going to kind of coin this for you here, help you understand this. If my whole point of fellowshipping with my friends is to do that in and through Jesus Christ, I'm going to do it the way Jesus Christ did. He did it gracefully. That's how he listened to people. He He let a woman touch him that wasn't supposed to touch him. He talked to a Samaritan woman at the well. He did all kinds of things he wasn't supposed to do, and I imagine he probably didn't want to do. So he loved, I'm going to do that. All my friendships, my fellowship with my friends is going to be in and through Jesus Christ, the way that Jesus would do it, graceful. My mission is going to be to influence my friends, because that's what Jesus Christ came into this world to do, was to influence people with the light. Take them out, redeem us from darkness, and bring us into the glorious light. So I'm going to live all my friendships with that mentality. And then I'm going to underline all of that with agape love. The reason I'm doing this is because I love my friends as I love myself. And I want my friends to have exactly what I have. You see, there's a way we're going to go about doing that, though. If you keep those three things at the forefront, the proper fellowship, the reason you're doing it, the proper mission, and then the agape love to sum all of that up, you'll find healthy influence. You'll, You'll find you're influencing your friends in many different ways because those are the things that we need to be doing to couple our evangelism, if we're going to use that word. We need to be knowing what our fellowship is, what our mission is, and how do we do all of that with agape love. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, The idea that we could have avoided many of life's difficulties if we had taken things more cautiously is too foolish to be entertained for a moment. As I look back on the past, I'm so convinced that what has happened hitherto has been right, and that I feel that what is happening now is right too. To renounce a full life and its joys in order to avoid pain is neither Christian nor human. Catch the power of that. I always say God's will is God's will is God's will. And what that means is whatever situation I find myself in, well, this is God's will. I'm going to trust this. So if I find myself having friendships that were superficial, I say, well, that was God's will for that that type of friendship. That doesn't mean I don't take that in and say, I'm not making any more friends. You know, Every friendship I had was superficial. No. What I'm going to say is, okay, the relationships were superficial. I'm going to experience that as one of life's pains, and I'm going to keep going, trying to make new friends, trying to influence people for the glory of God. That's our role. That's what we need to be doing. Again, it's all too often I hear Christians say the same thing the world's saying. Eh, I'm not really making any more friends. You know, f- Good friends are hard to find. And I'm thinking that's, that's what the world's saying. That's not our job. Our job is to say, no, I'm going to keep making friends. I'm going to keep loving my friends. I'm going to keep telling my friends what my father has told me. I'm going to keep doing that. We need to live fully in our friendships so that we can ultimately know how to urge them toward a Christian reality. Bonhoeffer further challenges us, but how is the disciple to know what kind of cross is meant for him? And I imagine many of us ask that. You know, What, what cross am I called to carry? What is my burden? What, what am I supposed to be burdened with in this world? He will find this out as soon as he or she begins to follow his Lord and share his life. So if you want to know what your mission is, what God wants you to do, make some friends and start loving them. You'll very quickly learn what your mission is. You'll know. It'll all become very clear to you. Oh, these are the people I must serve. And these are the people I must love. These are the friendships that I must seek to mold according to the glory of God. Before we get into some examples found in Scripture, I just want to make this point. When I think of friendships in the world, the, my mind immediately goes, and my mind always goes to a book. i warn you ahead of time. So my mind immediately goes to a book called The Next Christians, and it's by Gabe Lyons. And the reason why is, He provides this chart, which you'll see on the back of your bulletin this morning, and it's Christian interaction with our current culture. And if you see, the way that many people have done this before was the separatist mentality. You know, we're going to be the insiders, we're the culture warriors for the Christian faith, we're the evangelizers fixing this horrible world for the glory of God, and we've done that. We've been very separate from the world, pointing at them, saying, bad people, you know, be separate, come over to the kingdom of God. Then we have the other side, which are the Christians that, you know, say, I'm going to go into the world. And then we say, where'd you go? I thought you were going to influence the world. What happened? It seems like the world influenced you. And those would be the, the cultural Christians, the blenders, the philanthropists, the, the thinkers, the, you know, the ph- philosophical folks out there that just want to kind of make up their own spirituality. I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. That's where that comes from. So, uh, again, we don't want to do that either. So we have to figure out, there has to be, and I love that you know they always say Jesus makes the third way. It's not one or two, it's the third way. So Jesus has the third way. He comes in the world and he says, no, I'm not going to be like the world. I'm going to live amongst them, as the Apostle Paul said. When I'm amongst the Romans, I do as the Romans do. When I'm amongst the Jews, I do as the Jews do. That I might win some. So when I'm out in the world, yes, I'm going to be willing to have good conversation. I'm not going to make every conversation about Jesus. I'm not going to pound my friends with the Bible. But what I am going to do is I'm going to say, well, I'm a Christian. This is my perspective, and I'm going to seek to restore their understanding of Christianity. I'm going to help them understand a proper biblical influence in my friendships. In that book, Gabe Lyons challenges us to look at our Christian influence a bit different in our day and age. In times past, there was the traditional mindset. There's the separatist mindset. Um, Again, the Christian bubble. You know, I'm going to live in my Christian bubble, and I'm not going to deal with that filthy world because they're going to make me dirty. But no, we need to figure out, we need to be strong in our foundation. The middle ground, again, is the restorers. We would say we're helping our friends to understand the faith without ostracizing them. You know, what does evangelism look like when we're not pounding somebody that they're going to go to hell if they don't believe what we're saying? You know, what about just talking and listening and saying, hey, I'm willing to kind of hear you out? You know, Brother Brian actually shared an awesome example of talking to somebody, even in stark disagreement. That's how we should do it. We should just restore them to a better understanding of the faith. Hey, listen, you know, this is what I believe. I don't have to attack you. I don't have to damage your understanding of things. But maybe we can restore people back to a healthy understanding of what Christianity actually is. And I believe we have that power. I believe we can do that if we just begin to walk worthy in our relationship contexts. So I often think of uh, and praise God for Elder Steve Hernandez always shares regarding his friendships at work and how many people at his job view our church. And how they view the understanding that we are bringing about. Essentially, we are restoring people to the faith of the apostles. The actual way that this is supposed to look. What this is supposed to look like. Might not be a large group doing it, but we're doing it. And that's where the power of God is. The power of God, again, if you go back 2,000 years ago, there wasn't many folks there either doing it. It was 11. You know, 11 people living out the message. And 2,000 years later, you have a church on every corner. So clearly, they had something they were doing right. Right. And if you follow the long span, if you listen to my radio show, I'll be giving it to you, the long span of church history, you realize where we went wrong in many places and how we decided that we had to be the ones with the Christian faith and we have to pound this world with doctrine to get them to come over to Christianity. That's not the way the apostles did it, and that's not the way Jesus did it. In his book, Gabe Lyons says, Restorers seek to mend the earth's brokenness, and that's what we're doing. As we contemplate how we could begin to see this reality in our lives, I want to briefly share some examples from Scripture in regards to friendships. First text I'm going to be reading from is Genesis 14, verses 14 through 16. We have an example here from Abraham and Lot. Again, your friends could be in your family, right? I had that kind of argument with myself this week as I was preparing this message. I said, but wait a minute, no, Lot's related to Abraham, it's not his friend. You know, and then I realized maybe I need to look at my family life a little bit more. If I'm not able to call my family friends, we got a problem there. So, again, I believe that Abraham and Lot, is a while it's family, it's also a friendship. There was a, a union there. And here in Genesis 14, verses 14 through 16, we read this. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he let out his trained men born in his house... 318, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them, and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is the north of Damascus. He brought back all the goods, also brought back his relative Lot, with his possessions, and also the women and all the people. I believe that's very evident, that if your friend gets taken away by some wicked people, you're going to go out there with all your troops, and you're going to win them back, all their possessions and all their goods. There's your agape love. Would you do that for your friends? That's the type of stuff we should be doing in our friendships. The next text I would bring you to is Ruth chapter 1. I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to kind of explain the story because we all understand it. Um, We all know the story of Ruth and Naomi. Again, there's a family context there, a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. And we know that Ruth essentially says to Naomi, I want to go with you wherever you go. I want to go to your people, and I want to make your God my God. And again, to me that's... I can only hope for that in all of my friendships that one of my friends would turn around and say, due to your influence and due to your life, I want to make your God my God. That, again, hopefully that's everybody's prayer in this room is that all of our friendships would look like that. Then we go to Jonathan and David. You can't talk about friendship without talking about Jonathan and David. So in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 18, am just going to read three verses, um, verses 1 through 3. It says, now it came about when... He had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Again, you see very clearly there a context of that's how you're supposed to love your friends, as you love yourself. A couple other texts I would take you to is 1 Samuel chapter 22. These are, Now we're getting into some unfamiliar names. David and Abethiar... And here in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 22 through 23, we read, Then David said to Abithiar, I knew on the day when Doeg, the Edomite, was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have brought about the death of every person in your father's household. Stay with me, do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, and you are safe with me. Hopefully you're not causing all kinds of trouble in people's families. I'm just going to say that now. Um, But all the more you understand the point that, that you should be loving that person, your friends, you should be helping keep them safe, that they should feel safe in your presence. It seems to be pretty simple stuff about friendship. Um, 2 Samuel chapter 10, verse 2, David and Nahash says, Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanun, the son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent some of his servants to console him, concerning his father, but when David's servants came to the land of the Ammonites, and then it goes on a different story. So what I would point out with that verse is just simply that do you console your friends? Do you comfort them? Are those the people that you're turning to when they're in trouble? Do they know you to be one of the people they could turn to? They could say, you know, this, this is somebody that would love me and would comfort me and console me. Hopefully your friendships all see that. Um, David and Haram in 1 Kings chapter 5, just going to read one verse from 1 Kings 5, 1 Kings 5, 1. Now Haram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon when he heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father. For Haram had always been a friend of David's. And we see that David works with him. They do work together. They clearly have a covenant with one another. And now that David is gone, Haram clearly feels led to reach out to Solomon. And we know that he will help him. He will employ builders to help build the temple. So again, your friends, are you influencing them to a point that they would even seek out after your son or somebody after you to console them to help them you know are, are those type of friendships that we're fostering because that's what we're called to do we see this in scripture we know Elijah and elisha in second um, kings chapter two verse two we know that um, elisha tells him basically that I will not leave your side I will go wherever you go i'm going to be, and then in the end, he asks for the mantle of Elijah to be put upon him. So are your friends asking for that? Are they following you with that type of influence? That they want whatever you're doing for the glory of God, they want that, a double portion upon their life. Um, again, you, you see a lot of significance there in regards to what we should be doing in our friendships. And then you have the friendships of Job. And I just want to turn there to Job chapter 2. There's not a lot of good things said about Job and his friendship, so... I want to maybe add some good good qualities to the discussion. Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Many of you know the story, I imagine. You know, Job's friends are trying to get him to admit that he's a sinner because they, they're saying, well, you know, your life looks horrible, so clearly you sinned. Um, repent. And Job's very steadfast in the fact, I have not sinned. I have been righteous in the eyes of my God. His wife starts saying all kinds of crazy stuff. And... Uh, He he holds true to his faith, but here in Job chapter two verses eleven through thirteen, it says, "Now when Job's three friends heard all of this adversity that had come upon him, they came each one from his own place: Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamanite. And they made an appointment together to come and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they lifted their eyes at a distance and did not recognize him, they raised their voices and wept." And each of them tore his robe, and they threw dust over their heads toward the sky. They sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, with no one speaking a word to him, for they saw that his pain was very great. So, again, his friends come to console him, to help him understand. They're even sitting there with him for seven days, seven nights, as if you read the story, you know, it gets pretty. uh, Job's not very happy. We'll just say that. And, you know, are you the type of friend that sits with your friends when they're not in the best of moods? You know, I'll speak personally. I don't like to be around people that are in depressed moods. So it is service to put myself, especially with friends, to put myself in that position. So I find myself wanting to do that all the more, saying, you know, that's my mission, to influence my friends when they're depressed and to be around them when, you know, be a person that would come to them. I might say, be a person that if I can't find my friend that I know is depressed, that I would start ripping off my clothes in such distress. at the fact, that's the context. Um, You know, ripping off my clothes to the effect that I wish I could be with them. And that's what you're seeing Job's friends are doing here, not me ripping off my clothes. It makes sense in the Old Testament context. So uh, again, you see, the friendships are all supposed to be supported with agape love. That's what we're called to do in our friendships, that we're called to live a selfless love for the sake of leading other people and influencing other people with godly values. So prayerfully, you have found encouragement and enlightenment regarding your friendships this morning, and we surely have a lot of work to do out there in regards to influencing our friends. In closing... Our friendship should be marked by the following. Fellowship. You are willing to give up your life for this person because that's what our Lord has taught us about friendships, that we would lay down our life for our friends, that we would love them with no greater love than that type of love, and ultimately that we would tell our friends what our Father has told us, that not only are we going to serve them and die for them, but we also want them to understand the truth of God. So we would do that in a way that is restorative, restorative—not again, not beating people up with our Bible, but doing so in a restorative manner, helping our friends with grace, understand maybe some of their errors that they have of Christianity, um, helping them understand what true Christianity should look like, and maybe sometimes we just need to apologize and make amends for the areas that we've been bad examples and say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry on behalf of the Christian faith. I'm sorry on behalf of Michael Miano. I'm sorry on behalf of anybody that you might have run into that bears my Lord's name that has given you a bad example. How could I be a better one? And that's it. That's the mission. If we allow that to be our mission, that we're going into the world, speaking the truth in love, influencing them with the godly things. I like Matthew chapter 5 in the Message Bible. says bringing out the God flavors into the earth. Are we doing that? That should be our mission. And then also agape love, serving. Everything needs to be underlined with love. Are we willing to help even to the extent of dying for our friends? May God grant us these type of fellowships, and where he has, may he continue to bless them. Please join me in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the the context of friends, Lord, that we have the opportunity to influence those that may not be our brothers and sisters in our faith or even our biological brothers and sisters, but our friends, those that have been given to us to enjoy life with us and that we might also influence their lives for the glory of God. Lord, I pray that you will empower us to do that, that we know that will not be done without your Spirit, and that you will truly give us that that spiritual love that our natural minds do not manifest. Lord, we give you all the glory, and we thank you for moving us into such a glorious reality that we would be able to affect this world and invite them in. To you belongs the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.